Hi, this is Shauna. Before we get to today's guest, I want to take a minute to learn more about you, the listener. We've put together a short survey at fueltalent.com slash podcast to gather information on who's listening and to give you a chance to make suggestions and comments about the show. I want What Fuels You to be a great resource for you and your interests, and I hope these interviews give you practical advice along with inspiration for your career and life. Help us continue to serve you better by going to fueltalent.com slash podcast. Thank you so much. Now let's start today's show. Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Walter Berger. Walter currently serves as president and co-CEO, as well as director of Chimeta Corporation. Under his leadership, the company successfully released its second generation product and broadband service, improving performance through an integrated wand device, providing seamless satellite and cellular communications, accelerating Chimeta's global market penetration. Walter has served on several public boards, including REG, a renewable energy company, and private boards, including Sirius Computer Solutions, a national integrator of technology-based business solutions. He holds a BBA from the University of Massachusetts at Amherst. Welcome, Walter. So good to see you. Thank you for joining. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Okay, so I'm hitting you with some rapid fire. Are you ready? You bet. Okay. Are you mountains or water? I'm a, so since you want one or the other, I'm always going to be water. Yeah, it's a tough question, but it seems like some people are just like, boom, they know. And I'm always like, it kind of depends on my mood, but I will always say water too. Well, I'm calling you from the from the water. I've, my home is in South Carolina. I'm on the water. Lucky. That's another yeah. area I want to visit. Um, okay. Are you a night owl or an early bird? Both. I only sleep on average about five, five and a half hours a night. And that's all you need? Uh, as I've gotten older, that's all I need. It used to be less. And it's like, you know, people talk about the elements of health and <clears throat> sleep is one of them. And I, I never feel tired. You know, I work out religiously. I eat healthy. You know, I moderate other things. And so, you know, five hours of sleep is plenty for me. Maybe every once in a while I'll sneak in six. Yeah. It's funny because sometimes I'll ask about people's, like if they can have a superpower and someone said like, the ability to not need enough sleep. So you realize that is a superpower. That's great. It's a, uh, some people, <laughs> I mean, it's funny because they'll make fun of me at work. Cause I often, you know, I, I have a place out in Kirkland and I have a home out here in South Carolina, as I said. So I take a lot of red eyes and people think it's insane. And then I'll start the day the next morning and just go. It's just, you're lucky I'm fortunate. What is your biggest pet peeve? Uh, rudeness. I like that. Okay. So you're a nice guy. This is good. <laughs> three, what are three qualities that describe your leadership style a will to win a want to win and an ability to bring others along in the process great um it's like a coach love it 
if you could be famous for something, what would it be? Oh, I always want to be a rock and roller. Really? Yeah. Like, is there a person that when you think of that, you're like, oh my gosh, that person. I think, uh, you know, the range of people is kind of interesting. I think artists are ridiculously unique. Um, art, you know, whether it's a, a visual artist or a musician, I think what they do uh, is so different. You know, athletes as well at the at the exceptional level. Yeah, it is true. Um, okay, this isn't in my rapid fire, but I'm adding it in. Like I'm being uh, spontaneous here. What was your what's been your favorite concert since you're a music guy? So. I have two unique experiences. I've gone to a lot of concerts because what's really not my background is having worked in media, working in music parts of it. I've also worked on developing two massive pl um, music platforms, you know, similar oh, wow. to like a Spotify or stuff like that. So in one of the experiences, uh, we we're having a company meeting in Phoenix and we brought in all our salespeople. And one of the sales leaders was actually, I think on the CMA and so he was charged with bringing in the talent. I assume you know what CMA is, mm -hmm. country music. Yeah. And so he said, Walter, you have to kind of, uh, we have this young performer who uh, is here with her mother and you need to you know, sit and have dinner with them as a barbecue. And I said, sure, it's fine. Uh, happy to do this. Is the mother the performer or is the daughter the performer? And he says, it's the daughter. So I walk up, meet the mother, get introduced to the daughter and the daughter herself was just in a different uh, different place. She was working on her chords, she was writing music, et cetera, et cetera. That person was Taylor Swift. Wait, that's such a weird thing. I literally, right before we got on, was talking to my kids because they went last well, night to the yeah, Taylor Swift concert. Night. Yeah, oh, yeah, it was last night. Uh, was it last night or Saturday? Well, they should both. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, so that was Taylor Smith. Another time was when uh, there's something called Summer Jam, which they do in the East Coast in Jersey. And it's uh, put on by one of the largest hip hop stations called Hot 97. And so every year they put on this huge hip hop concert. And in it, uh, because I was the senior executive helping to drive it, I was asked to uh, bring Eminem onto stage. Oh my God. And so uh, you're going to rockstar so, status, Walter. What's happening? No, no, no. So, because my goal when I was younger was I wanted to do concerts. It didn't work out. But anyway, so I went there, opened it. I had my security person and they opened the door and I couldn't see anything behind the person because it was so huge. And then uh, out walks Eminem and uh, he was polite. He said, Hello, how are you? I said, Fine. And I said, You ready to go? He said, Yep. And then he went just stone silent because he was getting ready because it was about a five minute walk and he was getting ready and I could just see the intensity and the concentration, but this at, he was just kind of like at peace. And then we walk him to the stage and he just runs right by me and just explodes onto the stage with his lyrics and his passion and his energy. And it was just remarkable to watch. Those are good ones. Those Love are good it. ones. What have you read, listened to, or watched over the past, I guess, year that has stuck with you? One of the things I just listened to, which I recommend a lot if you like rock and roll, uh, Eric Clapton just dropped a track, which is around his, uh, I think, multiple days at the Philharmonic in London. And he did part of it on a very heavy rock and roll 
and the other parts were combined with philharmonic music. So it was fantastic. So I've gotten into that. Uh, I listen to a lot of music. I put playlists together when I'm kind of bored. You know, I like going through a range of movies. You know, it depends on sort of the mood. It could be as eclectic as watching, you know, American Psycho or Uncut Gems to The Godfather, to Goodfellas. And if I want to be in the sort of romantic, I'll even go back to old school to Dr. Zhivago. Yeah. Oh, you know, the old it. classic. So that's the range. Yeah, for sure. Is there an app on your phone that you feel really attached to or that you like are on every day? Is it Spotify? Spotify, for sure. Probably Spotify gets the most use. Then, um, you know, probably one of the um, financial pages will get it. Apple News. Those are about the only three. Okay, final question. And I think that you mentioned something about this, but I don't know if this is like when you were little or like post-college, but like, what did you want to be when you grew up when you were young? Because I enjoyed um, music so much, you know, um, you know, as a youngster growing up, I, I played all sports and enjoyed music. And, uh, you know, thought when I was going through the University of Mass that I, would, I could come out and be like a concert promoter, producer. Yes. And and it's really where my passion was. Um, unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, depending on how you want to look at it, I wasn't sure how economically viable that was going to be. So I needed to do a pivot. So I actually went to school to go to med school and had to pivot to something that I felt more comfortable I could achieve to. So I went into the School of Business at the University of Massachusetts because I just thought I would be more able to make money faster which I needed mm -hmm. to since I had student loans and other things I had to pay off. That makes sense. Where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, Western Massachusetts uh, in the Berkshires. Oh, and, uh, okay. Yeah. And then uh, my family moved to Texas when I was still in high school. So I nice. stayed up there and kind of lived with friends and other people. So Oh, you, know, you like didn't said, end up moving to Texas. You I did. I did after I graduated from college. Yeah. Um, so, are there, are there people or experiences that you remember from childhood that have had like a lasting impact on you as far as shaping, I guess, maybe some of your values as a leader, some of the ways you described yourself? You know, I grew up in a um, very agricultural, blue class working community where uh, the value of work was not a um, sort of like a rite of passage or emotional. It was there to uh, pay the bills, to manage sustainability around family groupings and family values. So understanding uh, what the value of uh, something was, was, you know, learned on all of us. Uh, learning the value of continuity around work and the importance of it, you know, whether, you know, and, and how it, um, again, provided sustainability for oneself or one's family. So those, those things were important values and that I got really out more broadly out of the sense of my community. And, um, and also, you know, learning, as I said, I grew up in an agricultural town. So I learned, you know, I went, I went to work when I was 11 years old farming. Uh, you know, I still know how to do all that stuff. I know how to do a great deal of the stuff around the house because I also work construction and things like that. And so what it, what's helped me is understanding what it takes to do those jobs versus contrasting what it takes to do my job today. Mm -hmm. If you really don't really understand different. things, yeah. 
if you, if you don't really see things in 360 degrees, then I'd argue that you're partially blind. Okay, right. and the better right. your vision is, the, the better your clarity is in how you think about things. So does it translate for you now in a way where you're like, I wanna know how every, every department works, how everything works, and not just kind of like be a train conductor, but like really know how to operate the train? So I think it's a little bit of both. You know, it sort of goes back to the old trust but verify line. Um, when I walk onto our manufacturing facility, while not an engineer, I've done to some degree or another what a lot of our folks do. So I can look at a production floor and see where I might think there are inefficiencies or, mm. or optimization. I can also see when I'm watching a person assemble something and it doesn't seem to make sense to them because we maybe have laid something out correctly that we need to stop, pause and listen to that person who's been doing it you know, for thousands of hours, okay? And knows what's good, bad and ugly about the process. Um, but, but when I think about my, you know, again, there's a leadership style and a management style. I try to lead by example, okay? And I try to manage with trust. So, yeah, so, you know, there, there are the spectrum of how good a manager you are doesn't, uh, doesn't correlate with how good a leader you are. They're, they're different skills, different objectives, and can very easily be very, very different outcomes. Yeah. I've never had anybody say that. And I just had like a little epiphany. That's so true. Like leadership <laughs> and management are two different things. Yeah. I, you know, I, there are times, and, and I can promise you, I would like to believe I'm a better leader than I am a manager at this point in my career. And I look for people who are better managers than I am. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because, you know, it's, it, and I, I, you know, I always look for leadership, but I want to find people who have a passion about managing and it's about the outcomes. Mm -hmm. And how do you do the, how do you get to the outcomes by doing the right things the right way? Mm -hmm. And so you've got to have leaders and you've got to have doers and you have to have managers in the portfolio. It's Everybody's so important. Everybody's important. It, yeah. The whole line. So when you were growing up, are there any sort of like obstacles or challenges that helped you? Were you kind of in more in the like, I know what I don't want, or you were know where you were going toward? Because you talked about money and money being like, and success being out of necessity and kind of just like, this is just so a means to an end. But did you have a like, I want out of this life and into yeah. a new place? Or has this all happened very organically? No, so it's a great question. I mean, you know, as a, as a kid growing up, I, I was also challenged with some learning disabilities. I struggled to read. And uh, whereas uh, with respect to math, even, you know, I, I was early in my career, I was a energy trader and I could do derivatives in my head. Okay, but reading often was a challenge. So for me, I had to, uh, and my mother was an educator. Um, and so I had to relearn how to read. Um, because how traditionally it was taught wasn't going to work. So I remember it was important because I wanted to graduate and I wanted to go into college. And um, so in elementary school, I remember for two years each reading over a hundred books each year. Okay. And, and retraining how to read. And, um, and so, you know, that connected with some of the other things I, I wanted to go beyond 
sort of where my parents, where my grandparents had been and become one of the earliest people educated in my family. But not just educated, like educated at UMass Amherst, like that's a whole other uh, level. Well, that's amazing. You. Especially when you talk about having a learning disability and challenge, like extra kudos, the hard work and the perseverance and, and the vision for your mom to just get you focused in that way is incredible. Yeah, but you know, what's interesting is, and thank you for the compliments and they're very kind, but I, you know, I don't look at it as the hard work. I look at it as the fact that I read a hundred books. The hundred doesn't really matter. What really matters is what I read and what I learned and what I was exposed to in trying to fix something. So I not just simply fixed something, but I grew exponentially in what I was exposed to. You know, which I, who do you know, <laughs> sits around and reads a hundred books. Nobody has time, but I knew I had to get something fixed. And in the process, you know, got to read classics, got to read books that were probably pretty dumb and got to read books on how to do this and to do that. And, you know, frankly exposed me to, you know, different things, you know, and, yeah. and what it did too is when I went to, went to school and, and what I didn't say is I was graduated at the very top of my class. Okay. Wow. For, for a kid who couldn't read. And then when I went to, to, uh, to UMass, th there was still a little bit of overhang and I ended up graduating at the top of my, not at the very top of my class, but in the top of my class. But one of the other things that happened there is I went there to play sports and it didn't quite work out, but good things will follow if you want, if you believe they will. So a friend of mine uh, told me about a job he got on campus, which was to be the student manager of the university's fine arts center, which you should get mm. your son to go to when he goes there. It just opened up. And he said, look, I can get you a job there. Well, he, after a period of time, he left and I took over. So I was a student manager at the university's fine arts center. So in those few years, the amount of fine arts that I was exposed to was like a separate curriculum that I got. So That's I think incredible. I, so I simply didn't just get a education in, in business, but I also got a unbelievable education in the fine arts, whether it's the symphony, whether it was the opera, whether it was, you know, uh, individual musicians or what have you. It was spectacular. It was fantastic. Yeah. So what sport were you going to play? Hockey. Oh, wow. Here, I'm going to show you. I know I have all my teeth. Oh, God. I'm like, <laughs> don't pull out your teeth. Luckily, no, we're, on audio. we're on audio. on audio. So do no, you watch the Kraken? Are you into the Kraken? Uh, I like the Kraken, but I am a Bruins and, you know, I'm a homer. Yes. So, yes. you know, it's a Bruins. Although the Kraken went way past the Bruins this year. I couldn't cool. believe it. It was incredible. Um, so but you would you would describe your college experience as a, uh, it sounds like a very positive one. Um, how did you choose that school? Because graduating top of your class, you probably had the pick of the litter. So I was actually trying to um, do a couple of things. One, I really wanted to play hockey in college. I thought I had a chance to play there. It didn't work out. I ended up rowing crew instead. Um, and that was a fantastic experience, you know, competing in division two nationals. I've never actually saw the sport other than watching it every four years at the Olympics I knew nothing about wow. it. So yeah. I went and did that and it was good. And yeah, so my experience was great. Like I said, I, I studied, I got good grades and what did you um, study business? I spent a little time on computer science, but it was all, it was business. Yeah. Interesting. Is there specific like, skills or knowledge that you gained during college that you put to use? Like what's your, 
What's your take on talking to younger people about college or even going back to get an MBA or any of that? You know, uh, I don't have an MBA. And um, I, after working three or four years post-college, I decided I was going to go back. And um, didn't do very well on the GMATs, um, despite having good grades and great recommendations. So I decided that I was going to synthetically create an MBA by different experiences and exposing to different people, okay, kind of on-the-job training, and found that to be way more valuable, okay? Oh, yeah. And, you know, if you come out of, let's say, a liberal arts background, um, or maybe an engineering background, and you want to move into business, an MBA program makes great sense. But... I was able and fortunate to be exposed to some tremendously talented people, you mm -hmm. know, who, who helped develop, who helped train, who helped me think in, in the way that I do. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of a younger person, what I would tell them if they were thinking about their college experience is, um, you know, it's funny because I'm talking to parents and, and I've, this one person was saying, well, they want to go to a big 10 school. I said, oh, they're fantastic. I mean, the Big Ten are exceptional schools. And, and the answer was, well, they really want to go there for the social experience. Okay, you know, they go to football games. And I said, okay, I said, fine. <laughs> but I said, you know, there's like a, it's like, to me, that's all fun. I did all that. But where can they learn the most? And where can they learn the most productively? And how can they grow? Because those four years passed really fast. Yes. And either they're moving back into mom and dad's house or they're going to step up on their own two feet. Right. And so what's going to prepare you for that next part of their life? And, you know, and, and kids grow up differently and everybody is not ready to go, you know, at 22. So it's different. Yeah. And so what was your first job out of school and how did you get it? So <clears throat> I actually started working. Uh, I came out of college. I was pretty highly recruited by both um, than the big eight accounting firms and also a number of uh, larger tech companies like um, Texas Instruments and IBM and NCR and companies like that. So I decided to go into the uh, big eight where I, I could use my business degree where I did classic uh, then auditing work, but I also did a lot of consulting work. And with the consulting work that I did had a tendency to be around highly difficult structured transactions like M&A mm. purchase yeah. selling and also I spent a lot of time on you know manufacturing for excellence so I was in Boston for four years and then I transferred down to Houston where I was in the energy practice and left because I didn't want to stay in that industry I didn't want to consult I wanted to do and uh it's a you know there there's great people on both ends of the spectrum but I wanted to be active as opposed to consultantary yeah. So I ended up, you know, ended up going into the energy industry, worked there for a while, worked for a couple of companies you may have heard of, one called Baker Hughes, which is one of the largest oil field service companies in the world. I actually worked on the Baker Hughes merger. Uh, then I went to a company I'm sure you've never heard of called Enron. And I worked there for a while and um, uh, spun out one of their companies and took it public, large, second largest crude oil trading business in the world. Wow. And, uh, and left that to go to a competitor. 
uh, which was interesting competing against them and beating them. Uh, sold that business and then decided I wanted to reinvent myself and I was going to become an entrepreneur. So I got a really cool office. I realized I knew nothing about being an entrepreneur. So I decided I had to go find one to work for. So I'd have to learn the personality and all the other things. So I went and worked to this guy who had started up a media company, worked uh, in that, and that was part of the stories I told you. And then from there, went to CBS in New York and then went into the wireless and then did a couple iconic uh, tech companies. Uh, oh, you had, you had such a cool career. I mean, it's, it's, it's impressive because of the companies you've worked for, but it's also got a wide range. Like from where I sit as a recruiter, you see like themes on resumes or you see like, oh, there's startup guy or they're turnaround guy, they're a big company person. And you've done a, a little bit of everything as far as size and even industry. Absolutely. Um, are there are there certain themes or um, is there a thread there, I guess, through which uh, a lens that you look at opportunities through? So your observation is right. And so when a VC, so I'll get recruited by VCs or PE firms or recruiters like yourself, and they know because it's unusual for somebody that can um, who can cross over industry and also can go. I've worked at you know Fortune 100 companies even bigger than that, to very early stage companies. Okay, so the spectrum, and it's different. You know, when I was at the larger companies, I had a tendency to um, deal more strategically and governance centric. Um, and, you know, inside the strategy could be, you know, building great teams and, you know, understanding where the business needed to go and the financial sustainability around it. In an earlier company, it is it is really about the strength of the product, the strength of the technology, the size of the TAM, and how quick do you actually believe that you could accelerate through that addressable market? Mm -hmm. Because there is a period of time of which there'll be interest and excitement from a capital perspective around that technology. And so if you're not hitting the gates at the right cadence, but then the ability to attract capital, <clears throat> excuse me, and frankly, people can be challenged. Yes. So you have to move fast. You have to break the rules. You have to take risk. You have to know and be comfortable that you're going to fail. But even more important than that is knowing when you fail to restart. Okay. Mm -hmm. And often when you restart, it even can be that much better. I like yeah. the smaller type company because it's easier to move faster. Right. You don't have all the red tape to kind of get through. Is there a role or a company that has had the biggest influence on how you have shown up as a leader for Chimeta as far as um, culture? Like when you work for different companies and you see like, I'll take a little nugget from them, a little bit of this, it's like getting married, right? I just want to find that perfect person and <laughs> there's no such thing, or there's no such thing as the perfect company. But like, there's things that have informed your worldviews as a leader. Well, it goes back to something I said to you before, and it took me a while to learn this. I had to grow up, okay? And it took me that, as I said to you before, there are doers, there are managers, and there are leaders, and they all have to be around the table if you're going to have success. So creating, you know, as much influence as you, excuse me, as, as allowing as much inclusion as possible is hugely important. Another thing that I learned, and this is actually kind of a, a, a 
it was a kind of an amazing experience for me. So um, after we sold SoftLayer, which is a cloud business to IBM, I was trying to decide what I wanted to do. And I got a call from a bunch of uh, one of the VCs that was an investor in this company. And they said, we'd like you to, you to come look at some of our portfolio companies. And one was actually in Seattle. And I said, okay, that's great. Uh, one was Aptio. You may know mm. Sonny. Sonny, mm -hmm. is, Sonny is just fantastic. And Kurt. And, um, and so I went to this company and the founder uh, at that time that I met him was 32 years old. Mm. I'm not 32 years old. Okay. Nor was I seven years ago when I met him. And he looked at me and I looked at him and it's like, well, okay, this is a little bit of a dichotomy. And, the, and he is from India and he graduated very high in the top of his class at Indian Institute of Technology. So when someone says, oh, the dude's a genius. Well, I think he could have been. Okay. And he was one of the most humble people I've ever met in my life. And I learned a lot from him. And one of the things that I learned from him, despite that he was a couple decades older, was the power of information in the in a certain age, you know, before you really had the whole virtualization of information, if you, people would try to control data, control information. So let's mm -hmm. say we were colleagues and I wanted to advance faster than you. I would make sure you didn't get information. In today's environment, it's how fast can you get the right information in the most useful manner to as many people as possible. Right. And that's what we, you know, that he kind of retrained me. And once I, once I got that, it was so hugely powerful and so powerful and empowering, frankly, it was both. And, and the way we were able to move faster and better was just remarkable. And so it is something that I you know, have taken with me everywhere else I've gone. It's what I sort of advocate because you still have people that want to hold on to data and information. Yeah. And it's, 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 like I said, it's between gifting and empowering and it lets people oh, yeah. be better. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yep. And so you've worked for these. Um, you've done these career transitions and worked, you know, large corporations. Um, yep. Obviously, some cutting edge startups. Chimeta is one of you know this cutting edge technology. Yep. Um, what about this particular opportunity caught your eye and made you take? I don't know where the business was when you joined, where it is now, how it was even presented to you as an opportunity. But I'm curious how you chose to take it on. So uh, first of all. It's a, um, as you said multiple times, it is really and truly a uh, transformational company. Um, it's been around for 10, 12 years now. And it has gone through, you know, different leadership uh, changes. Uh, I'm in the third group of CEO. And, you know, again, startup to kind of later startup, to scaling. Um, so a good friend and colleague of mine uh, was working with the Chimeta people in um, trying to look at the business plan and strategy. And, you know, he would call me from time to time to, to bounce thoughts and concepts off of. And um, so we were talking about it and he said, look, he said, I, I don't know uh, what I'm going to do if they even are interested. 
in bringing me on, but, you know, would you have any interest? I said, you know, I said, I don't know. But, you know, I said, I'm helping to run a company right now. Mm-hmm. But I said, you know, keep calling because this is really cool stuff. And, uh, you know, I said, you know, we ought to be thinking about bringing satellite as a service as opposed to being an OEM of great technology and all this other stuff. And we would talk for hours. So then he got to the point where he said, hey, look, um, the timeline is kind of speeding up. Would you be interested in this? I said, dude, you had me like six months ago. Okay, you just had to ask. And I said, and so we talked about it. But now I want to come back to your question why. It goes back to uh, a couple things that I said to you earlier. And that is, this technology is really unique. Okay, and, you know, there's, this requires a whole other session to explain it. Where it is a, most uh, satellite antennas are very mechanical in nature. Okay. Ours is software driven. There are no moving parts in the, the whole antenna. Okay. Which people still look at me like, how could that possibly be? And it is entirely software enabled. It is done through metamaterials and through, as, as you're looking at your computer screen, it is a lot of that material is actually, you know, flat screen TVs is actually used in the antenna. Mm. Okay. So it is a flat panel as opposed to a parabolic. If you've been around boats, you can see the parabolic being very tall, big mm-hmm. uh, unit, but ours is a flat panel. So when I start to understand the technology, I said, wow, this is really different. This is, this is groundbreaking. This has got my attention. Then what I also understood what some of the missions around the business were going to be, that was also compelling. So there were business elements about how to make money, how to create value, but there were also some altruistic attributes of it that were important to me personally. Okay. I mean, right now, you know, the value in society to connect uh, connectivity. If you don't have connectivity, you are disadvantaged. So this product was going to bring the ability to have connectivity in areas where you know, wireless communication wasn't available, rural, poor areas. So that was important to me. The other thing that's also is as you're going through and you're seeing, you know, beyond just the democratization of connectivity, which I just spoke to, you also have this whole insatiable demand around broadband that just continues to grow exponentially, exponentially, exponentially. So what's happening is I'm sure you know from your own personal experiences, your wireless will get jammed up sometimes because mm-hmm. you have a contagious environment. So satellite provides either a primary or secondary option. So we are helping to sort of change things where technology can come in and make that experience better. So where is that perfect example? We sell into the DOD where it's mission critical. We sell into maritime. We sell into anything that is mobile because that is very specifically different from what others will do. So we have a a great team. We have a lot of fantastically focused people ranging from PhDs and our engineering and product groups and science groups down to assembly people and assembly technicians on our manufacturing floor. Everybody wears one shirt and it's one name I mean, they wear different shirts, but the one yeah. shirt they do wear is Kaimata. It's the, it's the name that we, that's the most important to us. This is a great team. And what, what, is the, what is the business model and um, how is it different than when you said it started 10, 12 years ago? 
so 10, 10, 10, 10 years ago, we weren't selling it. Okay. Yep. 10 years ago, it was a concept. 10 years ago, it was IP that, you know, came out of University of uh, uh, rather San Diego State and then Duke. Uh, then it went into intellectual ventures and then it got spun out into an operating vehicle with a thesis to see if you could bring a product to market. So in 2017, we brought our first product into market. It was a flat panel. Uh, it had moderate success. We learned a lot from that first product. I came in at the beginning of the development of the second generation. Second generation is also, again, there's different frequencies, is a much better product, it's an outstanding product. That product is available for commercial use and not consumer use, but industrial purposes. Okay, it could be mining, it could mm -hmm. be maritime. We also have just introduced the first Leo configurated antenna. So we have an antenna that's out there for the traditional big satellites, which are called geo satellites. And we now introduced in March a Leo antenna for the Leo satellites. So when you think of Elon Musk's company at Starlink, or you think of companies like OneWeb, we build an antenna for OneWeb. And thirdly, we also just introduced a maritime product and we have a DOD product. So one wow. of the things I get excited about is we have been first to market in, uh, in, in a number of things, beating the competition. Interesting. And so um, what is, I, I started to ask like what the business model is, like how does the business make money? So the business makes money by first we ideate the product, we develop it, we manufacture it, and then we sell it into the customer base. We may mm -hmm. sell it specifically as the hardware antenna, or we may come to market with managed services where we're bringing the hardware to market combined with the managed services, which usually means acquisition of LTE or satellite capacity, or mm. we could put edge, you know, other applications onto the platform as well. So yeah. that relationship could be a one-time sale or it could be a recurring revenue model. Depends on the nature. And how has the business impacted through the pandemic? Seems uh, like, and maybe my gut said it's got to have been good. So we had an interesting phenomenon occur during the pandemic. Um, one is we were ending life, the first product, and we were bringing the second generation product into market during the pandemic. So we mm. knew we were going to end of life and then relife the next generation. Yeah. What, what, what I saw and experienced, uh, however, was... I thought kind of remarkable and, and I'm so appreciative of our, of our team. Uh, people in the beginning of the pandemic didn't, I had, it's so interesting. I had just come back from a trip from Asia when pandemic really started to take off mm -hmm. and everybody, you know, the world shut down. Okay. It right. was, you know, we weren't sure if we we're going to wake up two weeks later or not. Mm -hmm. And the world shut down and what we had to do is spend a lot of time you know, with our team, giving them the comfort, giving them the connectivity, giving them the continued sense of community. And also to not forget our mission and our values. And one of them was to get a product launched by a certain period of time. And I couldn't believe the strength of the organization, its passion and conviction. And they, they, just, they, they just missed the deadline by a little amount. And I just... I, I couldn't have been prouder of how they performed and what they delivered. So right yeah. now we're scaling the business. It's growing. 
That's uh, we've great. had the last several quarters, we've had nice successive growth quarter over quarter, and you know, we're, we're moving forward. Wonderful. And so are there case studies or like examples of ways that the customers use the technology and use the satellites? Um, so if you go onto our website, you will see a lot of examples of where we're DOD centric. Yeah. You'll also see examples of where we're in the maritime. It may be in the industrial fleet, i.e. fishing fleet, uh, or it may be in terms of the yachting or boating community. So let's talk about the industrial maritime. So if you take fleets of the past, they would go out for weeks, months, they have no connectivity to speak of. So as that workforce is aged and is being replaced by younger people, younger people want connectivity. It's how they stay connected. So when these boats go out there, as I said, for weeks or months to do their industrial fishing, they're not going to get younger people to come on because they just feel disconnected and they don't want right. to do that. Right. So you're seeing fleets move to that. Um, you're also seeing industrial farming, okay, where data and, and how you improve yield in farming mm. influence one another. So if you've got farming in parts of the country or parts of the world that don't have connectivity, you cannot have real-time data. Okay, so that's another application. Uh, mm. Another dynamic around that would be the autonomous tractor. Yeah. Where you're running the tractor 24 hours a day. Again, it's around driving productivity. So when I think about going out and doing a use case for a commercial customer, it is around how are we driving greater profitability for them? How is our product make what they do better, cheaper, faster, and ensure right. a better customer experience for their customers. Yeah. On the DOD, it's Christian, it's it's mission critical. Their their metrics are very different than a commercial. Yeah. Okay. So what are what are some of these emerging technologies? The Nirvana here is to get to the autonomous connected car. Okay. And that is probably, you know, they're they're the industry is moving. You need to remember the automotive is a very regulated environment so it will move slow but it mm -hmm. is going to happen you'll probably see it in the late part of this uh decade to early the next decade mm. uh, other use cases are you're going to see these products come down in size come down in price okay so that there is a larger market built you're going to see the uh, capabilities more so broadly so I referenced two frequency. Um, uh, you have Leo and Geos. You also have multiple bands, but the two probably most common are KU and KA. So what you're also going to begin to see are these, these antennas, these terminals that can take on KA and KU at the same time. Mm. You're going to see them also proliferate into being able to take on Leo or Geo or what's now soon to become Mio satellite constellations. So a Leo would be a low orbit, a Mio would be a mid orbit, and a Geo would be the highest orbit. So tell me how um, how do you like protect the security and integrity of the data? It is hugely important, uh, as you might imagine, <clears throat> and um, I have to be a little careful on the answers because of the DoD side. Yeah. Okay, but you know we are very mindful of security. We are very mindful of where our products go. Um, and so we spend time focusing on that in terms of developing 
development of it, the manufacturing of it. And we have a, we have a security team as well. Yeah. Switching gears real quick. You've talked about um, kind of the third grouping of like new CEO. You've been through some changes. Um, how has your company's recruiting strategy changed or evolved over the years? And what do you do to attract talent since it's so competitive? When I, when I look at recruiting, it, you know, it is a little bit of balancing what we can afford today to what we need tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So yes, well said. Okay. And if you don't do that, it's mistakes are made. And, and I like to hire people that are, are going to reach a little bit for that next role, that next set of responsibilities. Otherwise yeah. you will get somebody who perhaps is like, Oh, I, I underhired myself. This is just not going to be enough room. Right. Um, I, I also need to have a person that will come in with the foundation of the technical attributes of their job. They understand what they have to do and how they have to do it. But I also need them to have a passion about what they do or mm-hmm. what they're doing as part of the team. You know, I want people to enjoy what they do, to want to make what we do better. I want them to also know they're coming into an environment where we're going to listen, okay? I can promise you nobody at, at my company, starting with me, knows everything or even enough, okay? So we have to listen, we have to learn, and we have to adjust. We are very comfortable having very open, frank, heated discussions, but there has to be the element of respect, mm-hmm. okay? You know, and and we recruit that way. So coming back maybe a little bit more transactional to what you're asking, you know, we put a business plan together. We know what it looks like over the next three to five years. We know where we're going to be short on skill set. We think about that. We think about whether it can be organically developed or whether we have to go to the outside. Uh, we are comfortable using our internal network, okay? And we're also very comfortable in getting people like yourself to come in and help in that process. Mm-hmm. You know, so, um, you know, when I, when I recruit, I try to use what I call the Kevin Bacon role. Mm-hmm. I like to have at least some degree of touch point with somebody that I bring in that I know. The closer I can get to that person, usually the better. But I have hired people that I have no touch point. I've had, I've had some great success and I've been hugely, you know, kind of, ref- it's kind of refreshing because it'll be a little yeah. bit different than, than I'm accustomed to. And so you talked a little bit about the culture and the values. Um, how often do you look at those? And when you say that you recruit kind of against them, you know, you're talking about respect and some of these words that you used, how do you implement that? So let's, let's break that down into a couple different pieces. Okay. So, you know, again, it's a smaller company. So we have to be very careful that we are hiring people who are bringing certain specific skill sets that we're deficient on or avoid on. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so we will look at, you know, those capabilities of that individual, as I said earlier, we'll kind of see where they are in the spectrum in terms of early, middle, late, uh, relevant to our requirements. Three issues around DEI are absolutely important to us. So we wanna have people that are focusing and challenging, are we being inclusive? Are we being broad enough in our thinking? 
and how are, how are we looking at things around those natures? And then, as I said, I don't hire for today necessarily. I look at where are we going to go? And what do we want? We want people who are going to be driven. Uh, we're going to want people who take accountability and responsibility. We're going to want people who are curious. We're going to have people who challenge. We're going to have people who want to take and are comfortable taking risks. And we're going to have people that, you know, as I like to say, will break, you know, break the rules, not the laws <laughs> that we have to operate in, but they're comfortable breaking the rules. Totally, okay? totally. I hate, I hate process without purpose. It's, 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 it's just, you've said some really good nuggets here. So you talked about hiring for the future. Are there projects or developments that you're working on that you can talk about as far as where Cometa is heading? So um, some of the things that we do is we, um, you know, so one of the things that I worked on that was important when I came in was we, our, our U7 was an outstanding product, was the first product, but it was probably put marketed into the market a little too aggressively in terms of what it could do. So when the product came in, like I said, it was a first generation product. It kind of performed like first generation, but mm -hmm. not to the expectations of the marketplace. So we had to spend a lot of time improving our brand. We had to go back and reestablish our credibility and trust. Okay. And that's where, so I have a co-CEO and uh, Doug drives a lot of the core technologies and I'll drive the go-to-market uh, activities, including the brand and we share on the operations manufacturing side. So I had to develop a whole program of reestablishing trust. And now we've gotten, I think, really far along in that process where we have a number of satellite operators that we're in dialogue with who want us to build specific platforms for them. Mm. So to that end, uh, and again, I need to be careful here because of the confidentiality, we're in active dialogue with a number of them to try to come to a conclusion where we can deliver a product in concert with them that will be disruptive into the market. And really mm. exciting. It's what I see sort of as this next generation. Again, looking at satellite as a service. It's yes. been fun. Super It's been fun. Yeah. And so when you look back, I mean, you've gotten, uh, who knows if this is like where it'll be for years and years or like what comes next. But you, you do have like a really just amazing career. Um, well, thank do you. you. Do you mentor others? And if so, if someone came to you and said, hey, I'm, you know, I'm graduating high school. I'm, I, I, I want to be you when I grow up. What advice would you give them for navigating a successful career in either satellite communication or technology in general? If someone told me they really, really wanted to do something, I would first say, just do it. And then they would come back and say, okay, you got to help me a little bit more. I don't know what that means, just like you did. Okay. And so what I would tell them is learn as much as you can, talk to as many people as you can. I'm happy to help introduce you to some people in that respect, because I do that all the time. Okay. And people do that to me and I'm happy to do that and go learn and go test your thesis. Okay. And if all that data says that you were wrong, but you're still passionate about it, go test it again. And even if it comes back and says, you're right, go test it again. Yeah. Okay. And then if your passion still continues and you're now, you're not anecdotal or emotional or subjective about it, but you're now data driven, 
then now let's go put the plan together. Who do you have to know? Where do you have to go to school? Where do you have to study? What do you need to do when you're not studying? Okay. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, that's the dialogue, you know, to have with somebody like that. I mentor a lot of people. I enjoy it. I was mentored when I was younger. I don't get mentored anymore. I'm too far down in my career. But instead, I have something that I think is actually fantastic. I have a core group of colleagues and friends that maybe recruiters like you, maybe engineers, maybe financial people, doesn't matter. Because the problems that I have are in 360 degrees. And I, I need help sometimes. And so I have a great group of people that I can call on and talk about and discuss whether the problems are people problems, strategic problems, market, customer, et cetera. And that's the other thing that I tell people, and I start with my son who's doing fantastic in his career, never stop building your data p database of people that um, you can help and those who can help you. Oh yeah, it's probably, great it's probably It's probably the strongest asset I have is who I know and how I know them and how I can help them and how they can help me as well. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. We started talking about, um, we started talking a little bit about like having fun and you're having fun, but what else do you do for fun when you're not working? Um, you know, so I, I work out a lot. I like to play golf. I like to spend time with my family, my friends. I do listen to a lot of music, as I said. I don't go to concerts that much anymore. Um, you know, I, uh, I travel a lot for this job. I think, uh, mm -hmm. last year I did 250,000 miles. Oh, geez. Where um, do you travel? All over the world. Oh my gosh. You know, and where do you, throughout... what do you do for your workouts? What are your go-to? Uh, well, it depends. It can range anywhere from weightlifting to cycling to boxing. Yeah. That's all hard to be, do on the road. That's impressive. When you're traveling uh, that much to get in the workouts is always a challenge. Uh, no, I learned from somebody else. Um, one of the people I work for, um, he's now probably 75 years old. Still works out an hour to two hours a day. And he did it because his father passed when he was really young. His father was really young and he was not going to let that happen. Mm. So he worked out every day. What I work out is I actually find it meditative. Okay. It's where I kind of put my headphones on, pre-plan the music, zone everybody out, clear the system, do all the things that, you know, workouts come with. Um, other things around fun, uh, I enjoy people, uh, laughing, smiling, you know, telling stories. It's, it's pretty easy. I like um, good food, good wine. I live in nice. South Carolina, so now I like good bourbon. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. You're, I like it. You're very, very balanced. You're inspiring for me. It's really good. Any other hacks you can tell me about? I always like to learn from people because I have such cool people on this podcast. Selfishly, I just get to benefit. Are there like, Hey, this is how I set myself up for a good week. Or this is, um, this is this great efficiency app that I downloaded, or I feel really high energy because I do this. Uh, you know what? It's like, it's kind of funny. I have probably 40 or 50 apps on my iPhone. Uh, I've built apps. Um, I think anything that gets the noise out of your system that can help you be 
that create more time is helpful. Okay, so I yes. haven't found, yeah, you know, I haven't found that secret app, if you will, per se. Um, like I said, the one I do like because it optimizes a newsfeed and I can design it is, you know, the Apple newsfeed. You know, yeah. it, it's algorithmically, you know, discernment what I like to read and it, it, it fulfills that for me. You know, so I don't have to spend a lot of time searching on it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, other apps, you know, I'll play when I travel a lot. I may play chess, you know, on my on my uh, laptop or something like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. My final question for you is what fuels you? People. I like hanging out with um, different people. You know, it's uh, it's like I said, I've been really fortunate in my life. Uh, to be exposed to an inordinate range of different type of people from all type of backgrounds, you know, um, economically, racially, religious, geographic, and everybody has a story. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You. 